Welcome back to the Power of Sports Nutrition podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today I'm really excited to have with us Dr. Joelle Fluke. Joelle is a sports scientist and nutritionist who used to work at the Swiss Paraplegic Institute in Notwell in Switzerland and has recently taken on a very exciting new job with elite sports in Switzerland. So welcome to the podcast, Joelle. Thank you very much and thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure for me and a great honor as well to be on your podcast. <laughs> I'm really interested to hear what you've got to say, but can you start, it, start us off by telling us a little bit about your background and your history of working with Parasport? Yes, of course. I am a former track runner, so I used to run 800 and 1500 meter uh, when I was younger. I, actually, when I started also working at the Swiss Paraplegic Center. So I did my master's thesis in, at the Swiss Paraplegic Center on uh, sodium citrate supplementation and caffeine supplementation with para-athletes mm -hmm. and I got to know a lot of the athletes and was really interested in sports nutrition as well as the SCI population and I started working on my PhD which was on supplementation as well. Uh -huh. So this was uh, kind of 10 years ago when I started there and it was a long journey and I really liked to work with all the athletes and yeah in the field of sports nutrition in the para sports world. Fabulous and You've written a few review papers lately, so I wanted to talk about that a little bit. But on the practical side of things, were you involved in the preparation for Tokyo with the athletes? Yeah, actually, my position uh, was kind of divided in one was the research part where I did uh, some applied studies on, on wheelchair sports and para sports mm -hmm. in the field of sports nutrition. But on the other hand, I was also involved in counseling uh, with all the athletes uh, in preparation uh, for all the games, uh, the summer games, the winter games, mm -hmm. as well as, uh, of course, uh, world championships yeah. uh, and so on. And so were most of the athletes you were involved in those with a spinal cord injury? I mean, that was the basis of the area that you were located in. Was it primarily spinal cord injured athletes or did you also consult with other athletes? No, it's uh, primarily a spinal cord injury because the Institute for Sports Medicine is located in a rehabilitation center for spinal cord injuries. So most of the athletes uh, we have, not in all Switzerland, but in our center are um, athletes uh, with a spinal cord injury or wheelchair athletes. Yeah, mm -hmm. It's quite an amazing center because it's actually a hospital. So people basically come to that hospital in Switzerland if they get a spinal cord injury and they're they progress through their full rehabilitation program and, and sport or activity is a really important part of that program, correct? Yeah, it's, it's really an amazing place. Uh, it's very beautifully located at the lake mm. and it's a, it's a great hospital, uh, but also it's a training centre. Mm. So it's the tr main training centre for wheelchair sports. Yeah, you've yeah. got a great lab and, and a really good track 
area outside and I know they held Paracycling Road World Champs there a couple of years ago. Yeah, 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 really, uh, this was really nice. And also we have a kind of para-athletics uh, competition, so mm. yes. great competition. Yeah, big, big competition every year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, lots of really fast times. The track is renowned for its fast times. It's actually not the fastest in Switzerland, <laughs> uh, but I would say it was, it's the second fastest. Uh. <laughs> you mean you didn't run your fastest times there? Uh, no, just in terms of um, wheelchair racing, mm-hmm. I would say there is another track in, in Arbonne, uh, which is more in the north of Switzerland. And this is really the, the fastest track, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And and so what sort of things were you involved in in the lead up to Tokyo? What what were some specific projects that you were helping out with? Yeah, actually, we tried to prepare all the athletes uh, in terms of heat, acclimatization or acclimation, in terms of uh, nutrition, hydration. So I worked uh, with all the the athletes uh, leading up to the Games, but especially uh, with paracycling athletes. Uh, we did a lot of, not studies, but we, we tried out uh, the whole acclimation process during winter times, mm-hmm. and then we recognized replicated it uh, during the summer uh, in preparation of the games. Okay, great. And did you feel as though the athletes responded really well to that? Uh, I would say not all of the athletes responded well, but we tried to individualize um, the whole process as much as possible. Um, so we tried to find a solution for each athlete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what were some of the key things that you learnt in that process? <laughs> yeah, probably uh, that uh, we really need to, to tailor all the nutrition and the hydration in, in terms of uh, individual protocols and determine also sweat rate and, and feelings, but also the whole gastrointestinal system has to be taken into mm. account. So, mm. um, yeah, it's really all of it together and (laughs) try to make uh, the most of it yeah yeah it's nice in theory but not always works in in practice hey yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly and so you've last year you were you were obviously a very busy woman last year because not only were you helping prepare the Swiss athletes for the Tokyo Games you also managed to publish some excellent review articles uh, so well done to you, Thank I, you very much. I know one of them so two of them were uh, narrative reviews on carbohydrate and protein recommendations for athletes with a spinal cord injury can you run us through what some of your main conclusions were on both on each of those papers yeah, actually, uh, it goes into the same direction as I just told before, that we really have to consider all those uh, factors which could influence uh, absorption, gastrointestinal um, symptoms, the whole side side effects or side issues uh, which can occur during 
training, uh, also in terms of uh, wound healing, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a lot of factors. And I think the most important thing is to really tailor your recommendation to your athlete with his or her specific issues they have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so although you've got recommendations that are fairly you know based on able-bodied athletes it's it's working out how that applies to that individual para-athlete according to their sport and and what their medical history is and and you know what they're able to actually tolerate in terms of food and fluid at certain times yeah exactly mm. yeah okay and so can we go on to the most recent review article where you focus specifically on paracycling? And so uh, just if anyone's interested, the full text is available freely online and it was published in the journal Sports in 2021 and it's titled A Narrative Review of Nutritional Considerations for Paracycling Athletes. Why did you feel there was a need to write this article yeah I, I actually I just wished for myself but also in discussion with other practitioners uh, that we have more kind of specific guidelines or recommendation to have an overview over the field in a sport specific situation and as I worked uh, mostly or, or in great terms with paracycling athletes, I thought that it would be maybe very interesting to have all the literature together and to, to see uh, where we are and what we know and probably also what we don't know. Mm -hmm. And were you surprised with how little we do know? <laughs> Not surprised. <laughs> I actually knew it a little before, <laughs> but yeah, kind of more uh, disappointed that it's yeah not not enough to yeah. really have a lot of good guidelines. Yeah, yeah, because you tried to cover all disciplines, so obviously track and road, and then the standing cyclists trikes and hand bikes you you tried to cover all aspects across that which is you know you've got a really nice summary of the distances that are covered and the types of speeds and times that they're actually achieving these days did some of that come from your own data that you collected um more in terms of the um supplementation studies mm -hmm. i listed yeah yeah so where did you find the data on speeds and times to complete and some of the physiological data? Where did you find that from? Yeah, I tried to, to do a heavy literature search and also to look at uh, some um, competition data from, from recent world champs, yeah, mm -hmm. to really uh, gather all the information together. And so how many studies are there on paracycling specifically to do with the physiological demands for example like the how much energy is required yeah not a lot <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah actually i was uh, a bit surprised that 
Uh, I mean, uh, in the recent years, I mainly focused on, on spinal cord injury and wheelchair athletes. Um, so I knew the literature pretty well mm -hmm. in this field, yep. but not so uh, for the other categories or disciplines um, or, or yeah, disabilities. So I was kind of uh, yeah surprised uh, to see that there is uh, much less information on amputees or visual impairments in terms of paracycling, uh, paracycling physiology and, and yeah, studies on it. And so working with para-athletes, one of the biggest challenges as a nutritionist slash physiologist is trying to work out their energy needs and at, from that their carbohydrate needs and, and things like that. And when there's no literature, we try and look for other ways of collecting that information. And I think one of the questions that comes up most recently is that, you know, people have got eye watches and, and other worn tools that give them information about how many calories they expended in that training session. How valid do you think they are in para-athletes? <laughs> yeah, that's a really great question. And I don't know if I have the exact answer. What we try to do is really also to, to compare um, those data we get uh, from the athletes. Some of them um, are working out with a power meter. Mm -hmm. So if we have data from a power meter, then of course we have a lot more information than uh, from those athletes. We only have a kind of speed and, and heart rate uh, data, which is not the best predictor uh, for energy expenditure um, in terms of uh, athletes, for example, with a, with a high lesion, with a, with a tetraplegia. Mm -hmm. So we try to, to have those data, but also we can also access the data from the performance testing. So there we can also compare uh, what is their um, maximal power they reached in the ramp test. And we can also compare it um, to the data we have from uh, indirect calorimetry. So there we have more and more data to get yeah, more precise uh, values for mm -hmm. um, the physiological demands of, of paracycling in our athletes. But of course, this does not rely to all the athletes because it's very specific also uh, the type of disability and the amount of uh, muscle mass and also the whole setup with the, with the bicycle or the handbike um, is also very individual and can also cause uh, some differences in the in the energy you expend mm -hmm. so again it gets down to doing some individual analysis or individual testing on on each athlete to work out what their requirements are and so you mentioned that you do some testing in the lab how often would you do that with the with the paracyclists for example yeah it's actually not uh me uh doing this so we have um performance physiologists doing that uh the one is uh, claudio Pere, mm -hmm. and uh, then there is another one so they they are working with the athletes uh, mainly twice per year for performance testing. Mm -hmm. But of course, we have, as we are a, quite, quite a training center, 
Uh, we have also athletes coming for a specific training session to the center. So we have also access uh, to more data if they come in frequently uh, for uh, for some specific sessions or uh, when we organized uh, those acclimation weeks there we got also a lot of data um, of course it's it's indoor it was indoor on the training roller um, in the heat chamber mm. so this also can be a little bit <laughs> different yeah. to to going outside of course yeah. um, but we try to to get as much data as possible to yeah to work very individual athletes mm -hmm. and hopefully you'll publish some of that data at some point in time <laughs> because you know what i've noticed is that a lot of the research that is currently out there is at least 10 years old and the equipment's changed a lot over that time and and athletes training levels have changed a lot over that time so do you think some of that data is now still relevant now or do you feel as though it's a little outdated yeah it's uh it's difficult to say <laughs> as yeah as in switzerland yeah probably we can we can say that we have some great athletes who were already at the top 10 years ago mm -hmm. so i would not say that uh, the data is outdated mm -hmm. uh, for those athletes but of course, I see the point that um, overall the the training of the athletes and also the equipment has changed. So of course, uh, this will also change the data. But uh, knowing that <laughs> we have uh, some athletes uh, already being at their best uh, 10 years ago, I would not say it's outdated. <laughs> okay, cool. So how much of... I guess you changed your nutrition practice over the last 10 years with all of the information that you've gained uh, and the time that you've spent in working with para-athletes. Do you feel as though the way you educate them has changed in any way? Yeah, of course. I would say that working with the athletes got myself a lot of experience, a lot of information, which probably is not really documented mm. because it's just discussion sometimes you sit with them uh, have a coffee or, or yeah, eat lunch and you get some more information uh, which you didn't get if you're just uh, doing an assessment or, or a consultation so um, of course I gained a lot of experience um, but I see also that the athletes uh, made a huge progress also in terms of how they approach sports nutrition and how they approach uh, training and, and fueling for training. But still, I think there is uh, still a lot of uh, room for improvement in most of the athletes. So, yeah, mm. hopefully they can continue to work on it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, that's interesting how you say that you've – gained more information by having a conversation like sitting down for a meal with an athlete than by having just a clinical consultation with them I think that's a really critical thing you know we you and I both have had the pleasure of working with athletes across a longer period of time than uh, some other people may have had the opportunities to and, and developing that 
comfort level and that knowledge of the athletes in a really social sort of less I guess clinical aspect can really help in terms of just getting to know and observe and see them in practice and do you feel as though that that's a really important aspect of your sports nutrition work that you'd like to carry through with moving forward? Yes, absolutely. I also work for the Swiss Cycling Federation, so it's for able-bodied athletes. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I started to work with them, uh, I really um, told the coaches that I want to be uh, with them uh, on on camps uh, in some place because I I see that uh, you really need to have kind of a yeah social relationship with the athletes of course not a real friendship but you have to develop uh, the confidence they have in yourself in your work to really then apply all those things you want to um, have them applied Mm. in in their life Mm. so it's really not to just uh, tell them what to do once and then you disappear and you see them uh, a year later. Uh, it's really to engage uh, in their training uh, and really get to know you a bit uh, from a social aspect. Yeah, yeah. And what are some of the key things from an nutrition aspect that you think are really, I could you could, you could call them big rocks, you know, really things that have a big impact on an athlete's ability to continue training and and compete and develop their best ability to compete at the highest level. Are there some key things that you focus on nutrition-wise with most athletes? Yeah, I try to uh, fuel for training, uh, trying to make sure that they try to reach uh, the goal of the training session um, but also to refuel after the session. So I really focus on this, but also making sure um, that they can be sure that they can keep uh, their weight stable because this, I, I would say this is probably the, the, the most important uh, issue we have in wheelchair athletes um, that either they are, overfueling or underfueling and yeah they not competing or training at their best mm-hmm. and do you think that that comes from a lack of knowledge or a, just a misunderstanding of guidelines or where do you think that underfueling or overfueling comes from yeah, I would say it's uh, if we have a look at our clinic, uh, the patients uh, who come in for rehabilitation purposes and they leave the clinic. In most cases, uh, their weight increases after uh, they leave the clinic. And I would say um, it's one of the of the factors is for sure that it's not enough knowledge uh, to know how much energy I need, mm-hmm. uh, how much uh, do I really need to fuel, and when do you need to fuel? Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's it's uh, really more the knowledge than uh, reading requirements or, or recommendations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and the ability to kind of be be flexible and 
and look for ways to change to find the right solution for each person as an individual. Yeah, exactly. Um, I see this this also in uh, in able body athletes. So um, if we are at the camp, uh, all the athletes together, they are pretty much looking left and right all the time. So what does the other eat? And uh, if you have uh, the world champion on the left side and he's just eating a salad, so this must be. Uh, um, the best meal so yeah <laughs> this is a huge problem um, not being able to tailor the nutrition to your training program to your body and uh, to your requirements mm-hmm. yeah and it's even more obvious i think across para athletes because you've got such a wider range of, of energy requirements and i guess fueling needs yeah, exactly. We we can also see this in, in our paracycling athletes. So I had one athlete, um, he's uh, tetraplegic, and he was on a ride with uh, two other um, athletes, uh, women uh, and a man, uh, both uh, paraplegic, and he ran out of gas uh, pretty heavily mm. <laughs> during the ride. Mm-hmm. So uh, to see what to do better the next time is really difficult because they they don't have the, the knowledge we have to see how they need to adapt their fueling strategies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I guess that just highlights the importance of people like you who have that knowledge and, and the ability to actually really understand the athletes and has that little bit of the the science capability so that you can read the information that's out there but then also the ability to translate that in into what you see before you for for each individual do you think that that's improving across the world like the access of para-athletes to well-qualified practitioners yeah I think uh, that there is a, a huge development going on in the field of sports nutrition. Um, if we also look in terms of, of articles coming out, not only in para sports nutrition, uh, but overall, then we can also see an, an increasing amount of, of very good articles and research going on. So I think this also kind of tells us uh, what's going on on the on the practitioner side because of course we hope that um, the practitioners also uh, rely on these uh, new articles mm. so I think yes yes okay and you mentioned that a lot of your research in the early days with your PhD and your master's program was on supplementation and you certainly have a table about potential supplements and uh, in in that recent paper that you write wrote on paracycling, are there any supplements that you think uh, absolutely you should recommend, or where what do you think where where do you think we're at in terms of the use of ergogenic aids or supplements for para athletes? Hmm. Yeah, actually, I think uh, we are just still at the beginning uh, for the whole supplementation in para athletes. Uh, there is really not enough studies on this. 
so so there I really try to individualize my recommendations. Um, uh, maybe you know the the studies we did on on caffeine during mm -hmm. my PhD, uh, where we saw that in athletes or in individuals with a paraplegia we had um, more success or more benefit of the supplementation compared to the individuals with a tetraplegia so of course we have to take into account all the information uh, we possibly can uh, gather uh, from our system mm -hmm. or from also from maybe from other nations and trying to to make uh, an individual recommendation yeah yeah but you think you know it's still a bit early in terms of knowing what direction to take with that with with most of the para para athletes Yeah, correctly. Um, but of course, there are still some athletes also in Switzerland. They, for example, if we if we uh, take uh, sodium bicarbonate or sodium citrate, um, also there I I had a study going on with this uh, supplement and. Um, five out of nine uh, participants had huge problems uh, with the supplementation in terms of gastrointestinal side mm -hmm. effects. But of course, I know also other athletes from Switzerland with uh, no influence on gastrointestinal um, system or side effects. So, of course, uh, we can try um, to use some supplements, but I would say there is no general recommendation for mm -hmm. all athletes with spinal cord injury. And obviously, if you're going to try something, try it in a safe environment where there's good bathroom facilities available uh, that are accessible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Well, Joel, it's been really lovely talking to you. There's there's so many questions that I could ask. It's really hard, you know, in terms of I could go down lots of different avenues. I guess one of the questions that I have is what recommendations do you have for practitioners, whether they're physiologists or, you know, nutritionists or psychologists or anyone who's working in para-sport? What are, what are some of the things that you'd recommend for them if they're first starting out? Mm -hmm. I would recommend to sit with the athletes, have a, a cup of coffee and just listen. Mm. Listen to their story, listen to their problems, their issue they had in the, the last recent years and um, trying to gather as, as most information you can get from them and then to try to work out the strategy, how to want to approach the sports. This, of course, is also really important, getting to know the sport, mm -hmm. the sports discipline, but also the exact disability type or the related um, side effects or issues they have. Mm -hmm. And then you can try to work out the strategy to optimize or individualize um, their nutrition yep yeah totally agree and what about to athletes any specific recommendations you'd have for athletes <laughs> yeah i'll probably um, talk uh, to the experts um, trying to get uh, the information you need from the expert in your country really Don't be shy and don't ask. Just uh, try to 
get to know them, try to engage with them, and try to get uh, the information you need to really optimize uh, your whole training, uh, recovery, and nutrition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And ask for help if you have problems. Yeah. I think this is the most important. You you cannot know all it, <laughs> all of it. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and um, you're trying to. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, I think that's that's a key thing. Don't 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 think that it's a one and done that you get a piece of information and that's it and you move on. I mean, it's it's a problem solving exercise that sometimes requires a few different hits or or approaches to try and work out the best one for that that situation or that scenario or that individual. Yeah, so I I agree totally. We. Also, us as an expert, I mean, now I, I've worked 10 years in the field of sports nutrition with para-athletes, but also for me, every athlete uh, I get is a new athlete, mm -hmm. and I have to try to find the best situation and the best strategy with this athlete. And um, sometimes it's not a one-shot and a <laughs> goal, it's mm -hmm. uh, it's finding the, the right way and yeah, yeah and working some time sometimes so. and working together with them to find that solution because do you find that yeah. they know their bodies quite well and and can sometimes if you can tell them what you're trying to achieve they can give you some some insight into where there might be some roadblocks along the way yeah exactly exactly mm. well thank you joelle i i as I said to you at the start, I'll come back to you on a couple of things. I think we'll, we'll have you back on to the podcast again because there's certainly a couple of areas of your research that I think and, and your practical work that you've done I, that I think uh, we can get into more in-depth uh, discussion on. You've, you've written across so many subjects, vitamin D, for example, and you know low energy availability. There's so many topics in, in para sports nutrition that you've delved into that we can come back and focus on specific areas but I'd like to just finish off with trying to get an idea of what your favorite food is <laughs> my favorite food is Italian food oh, <laughs> so it's not it's, very uh, Swiss of you it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> it's a, a homemade lasagna which is my favorite food ah. Made from my from made from my mom, I would say. <laughs> uh -huh. And is that a, a meat lasagna or is it a vegetarian lasagna? It's a meat lasagna. Fantastic! Oh well, it sounds like you've just you've just gone. Oh, I need to go home and see mum soon for another lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> okay, well. Thank you again, Joel, for your your time and good luck with the new job. I, I know it's uh, lots of challenges when you change uh, positions but also lots of exciting adventures to come and hopefully you can continue working with Parasport along the way and certainly hopefully we can, we can still see some of your good analytical thoughts on uh, come down on, on some of the research papers. So, yeah, thanks again for... Being on the podcast 
Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. It was a very pleasure to discuss with you and to talk about the sports nutrition in parasports, uh, which is uh, so important. And I hope I could get some insights for all, all the listeners. And yeah, hope to be back soon uh, on your podcast. <laughs> Perfect. I think Joelle's message works across any aspect of sports practice, whether it's nutrition or physical therapies or medicine, that even though there's not a lot of research out there, that doesn't mean that with good relationships between athletes and practitioners, you can't delve into and resolve and progress athletes to get the best out of themselves by having open dialogue and a trusting relationship. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Please leave some feedback and any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear about and also share us with your social media. Join us next time when we get to talk to Ellie Cole, a Paralympic swimmer from Australia and one of the best in the world.